Uh, with that being said, we are going to continue the series that um, we started last week on the implications of the Lordship of Christ and what that means for us. So uh, with that being said, if you could turn to book of Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Oh, we're good. We're good to go. Yeah, we're going to be going through uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm sh- uh, it, this section of scripture has been fairly uh, popular among being taught in church, and so we're just going to kind of go over it and really see uh, what the impact of the gospel should be on the everyday Christian, right? This is talking about the gospel, meaning the good news of Christ Jesus, what everything Christ did from Christ coming down to earth as a man, from him dying on the cross for us, and really what that means for us. Like, how uh, could, after, uh, after we're saved, the gospel mean so much to us, and what does that look like in our lives? And thankfully, Paul explains this very well for us in the book of Philippians. So, uh, we're going to start out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, and so if you could stand in honor of God's word, that would be wonderful. All right, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you for giving us this section of scripture that we might learn from it, that we might know the full magnitude of the humility of Christ, Lord, and what that means for us, what Christ did on the cross, what Christ did by coming to earth, and what Christ has been proclaimed as present and future, Lord. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So uh, the question we're kind of answering today, um, it's a pretty simple question, pretty, pretty standard for the life of a Christian, is now that we have put our faith in Christ Jesus, what is an essential attitude? What is a must-have mindset for living as a believer? If you were to be asked this, well, I guess I'm kind of going a little bit like youth director here, but I almost said if you were asked this at school, but probably not in school, I assume. But the question is, if you're asked this by someone, what should a Christian act like because of being, putting their faith in Christ. What, what should look different? This, this passage is one of the best explanations of this type of, type of question. So Paul is writing to the Philippian church, 
And he is kind of explaining that. And so we'll kind of go over a little bit because I know we are, we're, we're diving into a book. You may or may not be familiar with it, but we kind of have to explain just so you all can uh, kind of check my work, make sure I'm not just, you know, saying whatever I want. I, I like to just remind everyone of the historical background, of the context, just so we can be clear about what Scripture is saying. So um, if you ever read the book of Philippians, it's a very, very cool book, very encouraging, but very, um, it, it calls us out on a lot of things. And basically, it's written by the apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And um, we don't know where he wrote this from, but at the time, it seems that he was under house arrest. So I like to think of him, obviously this isn't true, but I like to think of him as having the, the ankle brace that beeps once you walk too far away from your house. The idea is that he is living at a home under Roman uh, guard. Like there's, there's, uh, there's a group of soldiers guarding him so he doesn't you know, run away. But the idea is that Paul is waiting on a trial. He's waiting on which he could possibly be sentenced to death, okay? So what Paul is facing is suffering, for sure. Um, it, I almost equate it to, like, um, if you remember a year and a half ago, I believe, we were under house arrest, you could say, um, because of COVID. Obviously, not the same thing. Obviously, Paul had it way worse than us, but, like, that's kind of how I think of it, is he's kind of writing to a church to a time where it's not, it's not extreme suffering, if that makes sense. It's the day-to-day, difficult to stay faithful, diff- difficult to stay consistent in the faith. Um, he's not, there's, there's a very joyful tone, but it's not, it's, it's not really, it could be life or death, but there's a lot of uncertainty. And so why I say that is because when we read this book, we're kind of asking ourselves the question of what situation is this for? And I just want us to be careful of potentially using this book incorrectly. Like, for example, I don't know if you've ever gone through, like, uh, some sort of heartbreak or a loss of a family member or something like that, or, like, a very serious um, diagnosis or something, and then someone just tells you, be joyful, as Philippians 4 says, right? And so, obviously, if you're sharing scripture, you're on the right track, you're definitely doing something right, but the idea is that Philippians is more for just the day where it's like, you know what, there's, there's nothing extremely terrible in my life right now. It's just kind of difficult to serve God day to day. My attitude's wrong. I'm struggling with certain, you know, attitude problems. And it's also, the book of Philippians is also not really for the new believer because in a sense, a lot of what it's, it tells us is, you know, be thankful, be humble, be joyful, uh, set your mind on the right course. And the idea is that if you're not already say by faith. If you're, like, the idea is we don't want to turn Philippians into a, you know, like a healthy minds, you know, type of epistle, and that's nothing else. It's about Christ, and so if you haven't first accepted Christ, if you haven't first um, kind of understood the gospel pretty well, then Philippians is not going to be very helpful. So that's kind of, that's kind of why we care. We, we, we care because we want to use Philippians in a correct manner, and we want to work on our attitudes, but not before, um, you know, making sure that we understand our relationship with Christ. So, um, with that being said, this book, as I already talked about, Paul is basically, he's, he is the leader of this church, and he, he's going through a ton of what we would see as suffering, right? 
So the first, uh, the first part of the book, he, he mentions the fact that he's not certain if he'll live or die, which to us is serious suffering, but to him was probably a typical Thursday, you know? And the fact is that there was also uh, false teachers who were, or not, not really, he actually says they're not false teachers, but they were teachers that went to the church of Philippi and were preaching the gospel as a way to undercut the work of Paul and to kind of make themselves seem above Paul while he's in house arrest, you know? And so the idea is Paul is addressing the question that the Philippians probably have of why is your attitude good? What is your attitude like? And Paul, he's just explaining, this is my attitude. This is how you should act. So um, as we get into uh, Philippians 2, sorry, I probably went for a long time, you know, you know, what, well, you know what it is. Sometimes we as preachers just start going off, and you know how it is. Um, so Philippians chapter 2, we start out in verse 1. And today we're going to mainly go through verses 5 through 11, which is a section that explains the gospel, explains the work of Christ in a way that it is explaining how it changes our life, if that makes sense, for the Christian. So if you could actually go to verse Five. All right, verse 4 and 5. That's perfect. So um, if we look at this verse, if we look at this section of verses, the main point of today is actually an application point, which is verse 5. It's found in verse 5. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it's, it's, it sounds a bit vague, which is why we have to look around this verse. But the main point of today is have a humble mindset. Have a humble mindset. And we'll talk about what humility means, and we'll talk about the motivation for that. But the idea is that um, verse 5 is showing a, sh- a shift in the scripture where it's saying, this is, what, this is the main point, which is have this mind among yourselves. And you ask, what is this mind? It's explained in the first four verses, right? So the first four verses, Paul tells them, first of all, to have the same mind be a unified body of believers. Um, the second is to not act out of selfish ambition. Don't be a person who not only looks to your own interests, but he says right here, be humble, counting yourself as more significant and looking to the interests of others, right? So if you really want to get technical with me, the main point, I could just say, have this mindset, copy and paste first four verses. I didn't want to do that. So just shortened it to have a humble mindset and so the idea uh, is that when it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus, this is kind of reiterating what I already stated about Philippians. But the fact is that if we search for humility, if we search for um, like a lack of self, if we search for a positive mindset without Christ, it is of no use to us. It says, which is yours in, Je- in Christ Jesus, right? It's taking us back to that. Is that through Christ, that is the way we have humility. And without Christ... It doesn't mean a lot to us, right? So the question is, what does humility mean? What does humility mean in in Scripture? Does it simply just mean that you're the first one to clear the dishes? Does it mean that if you are playing a sport, you have to pretend like you're terrible when you're really good or something like that? And we have to look at the biblical definition, right? So when the Bible talks about humility, generally there are two uses— um, the first is that we see our sin as bad as it is. Uh, Romans 3 talks a lot about how because of 
our sin, that's, when, that's why Christ is needed. And it talks about the depths of our sin. And so when we see, it could mean that. It could mean that we have to see our sin as, as serious as it is. But I don't think that's what it is. And the reason why is because Christ Jesus is the example. So if you're trying to find an example of someone who takes their sin seriously, Jesus is a terrible choice of example, right? Because Jesus didn't sin. So I think, uh, and Scripture kind of points to this, the first four verses, if you read around, it explains humility in verse 4. It says, looking to the interests of others. And so what I see the passage saying about humility is that it really means that one's significance or one's interests are put aside for others. And so it's saying that I'm not the most important my wants aren't the most important. My needs aren't the most important. But others are all around more important than myself. And so when you have that as the definition, it makes so much more sense when Christ is talked about. So um, today, main point is that we need to have a humble mindset. And then the three, uh, we, we're talking about three areas of Christ that show him to have this humble mindset um, or if you will, three accomplishments of Christ that lead us towards humility. And so we're kind of going to go over that, verses 5 through 11. And um, before we start, we have to realize there's, there's a lot to unpack in these, these verses. And I think it's actually very cool if you've ever seen, you know, any worship leader, probably Zach from time to time, he'll, you know, stop before a song and he'll say like, oh, we are singing living hope, and he'll explain what it means to have a living hope. Paul, not sure if he was a good singer, but what he's, what he's doing here is he's taking a hymn of the early church, which is actually um, verses 5 through 11, and this is actually a hymn that the Philippians would have known. They probably sang it on their Sunday morning. Or, yeah, and the, the idea is that he's using a song, and a song about Christ, obviously, and he's explaining this important um, detail of humility. So, um, as we start, um, look at verse um, 5 and 6. Could, so, could we go to verse 6, actually? Appreciate it. So, it says this, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, so, it's really talking about how Christ, this, is, this, is, this, this song, if you will, is all about Christ. It's all about Christ before he came to earth, Christ on earth, Christ as he is now, and Christ in the end times. And so he starts out, and he says, though Christ was in the form of God. So we believe that it's not as if God the Father is this all-powerful God, and that Jesus Christ is just kind of the person who got sacrificed. We believe that Christ was in the form of God, with all the power of God. And so the first thing, the first point about Christ that we're, we're going to talk about today is the fact that he emptied himself. So the verse says that he emptied himself. So verse 7 says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So uh, it's, it's very much talking about, like, so the question is, what did he empty himself of? Because I'm sure we've all learned that um, Christ, while he was on earth, he did miracles, he didn't sin, so he wasn't emptied of basically his power, he wasn't emptied of his perfection, he wasn't emptied of his qualities, but he was, uh, it's, it's actually more talking about 
not so much him, him emptying himself of his power, but him giving up his significance, right, as we talked about earlier. And it's, it's, it's talking a lot about how Christ gave himself up for the disposal of humankind. So he goes from the most powerful being, Christ, and he says, I personally choose to go to earth to be here to serve man. And the idea of, of this text, if you look close, closer at it, it's implying that not only Christ was, right, like we were taught that um, you know, Jesus came down from heaven, God the Father sent him, and that he died on the cross for us, but the idea is that Christ not only was sent down from heaven, but willfully chose to be sent down from heaven. And it's not this idea that Jesus Christ was forced by the Father, but that he was a willing participant. And so I think that adds a layer of the gospel that sometimes we don't consider and we sometimes don't show thanks to God for. It's not only that he just dealt with his pain, which we'll talk about later, but that he was a will, willfully choosing to come to earth, empty himself of significance, and um, be put out there for the good of man. And so uh, it's also talking about how it says, taking the form of the servant... The word actually can also be translated slave. So the fact that Christ went from the ultimate important being to a slave of man for the good of man, that is part of what's pointing us to have the humble mindset of Christ. Right? It's, it's untouchable, and so we need to strive for that. So first point about Christ is that he emptied himself by coming to earth. Second point is that he humbled himself. So it says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So it goes back to this point of Christ humbling himself. And he talks about how uh, we talked about earlier, how what is humility? Humility is taking your own interest, your own significance, and it's putting the interests of others first. It talks about this in verse 4, and Christ is the ultimate example of this, for he, I'm sure you've heard before, he willfully was submitted to humans to die on the cross. And uh, if, if uh, the original Philippian church was reading this, again, Romans are still in charge at the time this was written. Philippians still were very familiar with people who were still dying on crosses to that day, and so they, they totally got it. Once they once they read this verse, they're like, death on the cross. I get it. That means extreme pain. That means torture. That means embarrassment. That's the death of a criminal. And so when the Philippians would read that, they would say, oh yeah, I get it for sure. That's, that's the most terrible way to die. And it says he humbled himself. So um, also the, uh, the idea is that the Philippians would have understood every single portion, every single part of the pain of dying on the cross, right? They would have understood how it was used by the Roman government as torture to people who had murdered people, to people who had stolen. And so the idea is that he humbled himself beyond anything imaginable. He emptied himself first, and he humbled himself. And so the idea is, what was the result of that? What happened to Christ after? So um, the, third, the third accomplishment of Christ is that he has been exalted. It talks both presently and both in the future. And this is also part of the reason why if I were trying to explain the gospel to someone 
who hadn't heard it before, I probably wouldn't use this passage because it's talking a lot about some complicated things, right? For, so, for example, how is Christ exalted in the present but in the future as well? And how can he be exalted in the present when there's so much suffering, when earth is not great? And so the idea is that he's been exalted in the present in his name. So if you look at verse 9, it says this, Therefore, that's because of the work of Christ, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that the, the name that is above every name. So if you're, uh, I actually was teaching a series, or I still am, I'm still there, on Exodus uh, on Sundays, so the youth got a break from it this week. But the idea in Exodus is also the same thing, is that the name of God is supposed is, is to be proclaimed as the greatest name, and so he's saying in the present that Christ has been proclaimed as the greatest name, as the most powerful, as the most supreme of all of humanity presently. And then it also explains this idea that although Christ has been moved to the highest position, obviously the earth is not perfect. Yet we have so much suffering, we have so much pain, the earth is far from the perfection of full Christ rule. And so it's also bringing up end times for us, which um, we believe that Christ will return um, back to earth, and we believe that everything will be made perfect, and Christ will judge. And so it's really talking about not only will Christ, has Christ been proclaimed, but he will be proclaimed by all. There, So most, most people in this world do not currently hold Christ as ruler of all, and is explaining that, that in the end times, they will. So if you've ever read any book about the end times, as far as, well, not, not any book. I mean, any book of the Bible, that's what I meant. Uh, if you read the book of Revelation, for example, one of the main things that people miss out on about the book of Revelation is the emphasis on Christ's awesomeness, right? If you look at, ver- if you look at chapter 1, you'll see that Christ is being proclaimed as not just this, like, uh, this person who you know, loves the little children, but as the most powerful being ever. Revelation is explaining that Christ humbled himself, and you do not understand how powerful he will be, right? It talks about how the Lamb of God is the only one uh, able and powerful enough to bring upon the end times. And so Paul's kind of alluding to this. He's saying every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's saying that every single person, whether you are a Christian, whether you hate Christ, whether you believe that Christ exists but haven't given your life to him, every single person who's ever existed will openly admit that Jesus Christ is Lord in the end times, right? Some of them not as happy about it, but um, the idea is that Christ will be proclaimed as Lord going from the most humble position ever of submitting himself to be a man, submitting himself to die on the cross, and he is given the ultimate place of honor, And then it says this in verse 11, it says that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We just explained that. And then it says this, to the glory of God the Father. Um, This is another reason I probably wouldn't explain this to a very young believer. I would try and hope they'd get it. But the idea here is that is God the Father, is uh, Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, are they like separate gods competing with each other? Like we 
we say absolutely not. We believe they're one God. And so if you're ready to explain the Trinity to someone, feel free to, you know, open this up. Um, but here's the idea it's giving it is it's saying to the glory, which means to the praise, to the worship. So it's saying that by Jesus Christ being confessed as Lord by everyone, this glorifies God the Father. It's not saying that God the Father used to be this all-powerful being, but now gives it up and Christ passes him. It's not saying that. It's saying they are one, and the fact that Christ is proclaimed is glorifying God the Father as well. And so, um, obviously, I'll probably have more questions for uh, when I get to heaven to ask about the Trinity, um, because obviously we can't explain it perfectly um, as just, you know, human people with human brains. But so we've gone over the fact that Christ emptied himself, Christ humbled himself by death on the cross, and Christ is exalted both present and future. And so um, because of this, right, we point back to verse 5. So after reading this, after reading this psalm or this hymn that they sang, um, it points back to the fact that, okay, so are, are you now convinced that Jesus was an amazing example of having a humble mindset? So the question is, you are, you are a Christian. You're someone who claims Christ is Lord. So the question is, what, how then shall we live? How shall we have a humble mindset? And so um, it definitely points back to the first four verses that we already talked about. And so as we conclude, I just have some final questions to ask us all, for us to think about, for us to ponder that obviously we talked a lot about how awesome Jesus is, how awesome his humility was, how exalted he will be. But this definitely shifts back the whole, the, the main point of this, this verse is not just gospel understanding, but it's also life change. It's also change in humility. So a few application questions before we leave, before we can um, go out in life and work on being a humble servant of God. Um, first question is, what to you, just personally, is an impactful or the most impactful part of the humility of Christ? Like I, I was thinking about this, and obviously we do want to be more humble, but we definitely want to be motivated by Christ, ultimately. We want to be motivated not by um, you know, being a nicer person, but by the work of Christ. And so first I like to think through, what is something about Christ's humility that really struck me? And like for me personally, in the study of this, 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 uh, this passage, I found uh, an emphasis on the fact that Christ actually chose to come to earth and to sacrifice. And it could be maybe the pain that Christ went through, the humiliation Christ went through. But what is impactful to you about the gospel, about how Christ went about humbling himself from his, his position? So question one is, what is impactful about the humility of Christ to you? Question two, what is an area of humility that you struggle with? So again, if we uh, talk about humility, hu- humility in this sense is putting your own interests, your own desires, your own wants aside for others. It could be the people around you, uh, most importantly God, because we're, we're told we're to love God with all our heart. But what is an area of humility that you struggle with? Maybe it's, um, maybe it's what you work on. Maybe you have dreams, you have goals that you want to accomplish, but maybe the goals of God, the ultimate goals are not really on your mind. Maybe serving others is not on your mind as much. 
But it could be anything. This, this literally could have a million answers. But what area of humility do you struggle with? And this is kind of a, a time of reflection, a time of honesty. And then the third question is, how can we take steps this week towards the humility of Christ? We, as we looked at Christ, ultimate example of humility and emptying himself, humbling himself, and being exalted. So what are steps, what are action steps I could make to be more like this? Maybe I need to be more Christ-oriented in how I live my week. Maybe there's things I do that are for my self-interest when I should be thinking about the interests of others. Maybe it's in thoughtfulness. Maybe it's some sort of action. But whatever it is, the question is, now that you've seen, now that you've hopefully been convinced of the awesomeness of the humility of Christ, how are we to change? How are we to conform to this mindset, to this image of Christ? And how can we actually look like the humble believers that we are called to be? So with that in mind, let's close our, uh, close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer and just pray for the help of God in accomplishing this task. Um, dear Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you so much for being such a good God to us, for being... Uh, a God who descended, a God who emptied himself and humbled himself upon the cross, and a God who's exalted. Lord, please help us change because of that, Lord. Please help us remember the humble mindset of Christ, and please help us follow after you with our lives. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.